Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. Good morning. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. This morning, we're live streaming from Jolt Radio in Miami, Florida. We'll be talking about technologies that are transforming the global arts ecosystem. And with this show, Fresh Art International is launching a series of podcast episodes about art and technology. Our partner for the new series is Art Seeker, a new mobile app for collectors. Joining me to talk about the app are Elena Mock, founder of Art Seeker, and Emmanuel Trench, product marketing manager, also in the studio for a conversation about technology at Vizcaya Museum and Gardens art curator Gina Wouters, adult learning and engagement manager Mark Osterman, and trustee Harry Tapias. So welcome to our conversation about the future of art. Let's begin by talking with ArtSeeker and their goals to innovate the art market with new technology. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having us. I'm really happy to introduce Hélène Lamarck, who is from France, 23 years of experience in the art world as a gallerist, collector, and curator. And she had her first art gallery in France in 1994 at the age of 24. That's young for starting a gallery. Second gallery in Miami in 2008, specializing in contemporary art from India. And her new project, which is fascinating, exciting, we met a few weeks ago and just decided we needed to talk about it on the air because it's a, it's a great concept for our new company called artseeker.com. With her and us is Emmanuel Trench from Puerto Rico, multilingual, studied communications, marketing, and business. He works in tech, marketing, and competitive intelligence, which is a whole other conversation. Correct. Uh, he's collaborating with ArtSeeker as a project marketing manager to, to create this mobile app. Welcome, you two. Thank you. Thank you. Elan, you are a collector yourself. <laughs> yes. And you have quite a significant collection. Yes, but I'm not here to brag about my collection. No. I am here to solve the problem of the art market and to connect. I mean, the goal of art is to connect people. And so I want to focus on all the issues we had in the art market. I mean, in the, it was di it's difficult to collect. In, you know, as a collector, you might have uh, some issues in co collecting the right works. I mean, to have access sometimes. Right. But also as an art gallery, um, I spent so much time, uh, you know, um, helping collectors who wanted to, to sell some works they had from previous decades so we can buy new artists. So the art market was so slow with the traditional actors. You know, this art world has to go high tech. I mean, we have to shake, shake up the old school art world's ideas. That's why we want to bring technology and ArtSeeker will connect directly buyers with sellers without taking commissions. This right. is a new thing. Yes, like, let's talk, let's talk yeah. about the tradition. <laughs> I know you're so excited about this new thing. <laughs> I'm really excited yeah. to hear that too. 
But let's talk about the art market itself for a moment. Like, yes. who are the players? Who's involved yes. in collecting yes. and selling art? Okay, so you have the primary market for living artists, and you have galleries for that. And you have also the secondary market for all the um, works that are not um, uh, directly from the studio to the first gallery, okay? So if this is auction companies, but also art dealers and also art advisors, and also a lot of galleries are working also on the secondary market. It's not, we not, we, the galleries, they have, I mean, sometimes young artists on, in their gallery, but they also deal in secondary market in, the, in their office. So this is a huge market, the secondary market as well, I mean. And even a young living artist that is very hot, who is very hot today, has already a, a secondary market. So you have in the world uh, almost one million collectors, active buyers and sellers now, and uh, 55,000 museums to give you an idea of the proportion. And these museums are, are buying also, sometimes they are selling. So Art Seeker will connect the collectors, the private collectors, the galleries when they need to buy or sell something they don't have in their, in their gallery. The museums, sometimes they are looking for some works or they are looking for selling discreetly. Uh, for example, works they have duplicates. And so we are connecting all the active buyers and sellers directly. And it brings, it will bring more information in terms of provenance and we will, I mean, speed up the process and bring liquidity in the art market. Because today it's very slow. I still have myself some works, I mean, uh, on consignment in New York galleries, I mean, for years, and we still didn't sell it, and it's very, very slow. And um, it depends, I mean, uh, so, we, we, ha we could speed up the process. Sometimes you, are, you go to an art fair, you go to the VIP room in the art fair, and the people next to you might be looking exactly for the painting you would like to sell. It happens to me all the time. Even sometimes I meet friends and we have to talk about art, about the next great shows we visited, about family, I mean, personal stuff, okay? And we forgot about to talk, what do you have for sale? Because it's so boring. In a way, this secondary market is boring. So I want to free people, free them to focus on what they do best. That means to discover new artists or to focus on their gallery and their collection. And we will speed up the process thanks to technology. Art Seeker will do the job. Right. So uh, I hear you. Uh, where do people go right now that specifically, let's just be boring and tell the list of places where people are finding art today. And I know you're going to revolutionize that. Yes. But we are talking to an audience. Some of them would love to have their work collected. So they kind of want to be fam more familiar with where those spots are. Yes. And then some of them are, uh, are artists that want to figure out maybe there's some place they hadn't thought of to introduce their work. And Art Seeker is one way. I know that. So, uh, so art fairs, auctions... Yes, art galleries, galleries. Uh, museum shows. You can learn a lot also. Exhibitions. If you want to learn, yes, Biennale. You can, if you want to learn and to educate yourself. And then you might go also online and to, to do some research, to do some homework. And you have a lot That's of private right. museums if you want to learn today, especially in Miami. We have the Miami model. You look at the Rubel collection, Delacruz, Margulis, Cisneros. I mean, we have here in Miami... Uh, one of the best contemporary art collections in the world. 
I mean, they are private collectors and they opened their, uh, their, their doors. So if you want to learn more about contemporary art, you might push the doors of private museums also, not only public museums. And I know that there are art advisors that, of course. that counsel uh, artists and yes. lawyers get involved. Yes, you have lawyers. I mean, also <laughs> Talk lawyer, about the players. Yes, lawyers, also estate manager, wealth manager. Today, art and finance started to merge. So you have wealth manager, you have estate planning lawyers. I mean, and a lot of people need needs to have a direct access to art. And for example, um, if someone dies and have a huge collection, the lawyer is not specialized in that. He will get an appraisal, okay, but he needs to sell it and for the best interest of the heirs or to donate it to a museum. So he needs to have some tools to find the best options for the family, for example. Right. Mm -hmm. So what all this is going on you want to know more yourself about how to collect, and that's what sparked the idea for the app? Yes, I mean, it's more for people who already know what they are looking for. I mean, it's completely discreet and private. I mean, you have a username. We don't know your name at the beginning. Nobody will know what you are looking for. Only the people who are selling what you are looking, will. there will be a match. It's com Discretion is key on the app. It's a part of the art market also. Um, it's a key point. Um, it's not really a place to discover art, Art Seeker. It's a place to buy and to sell. I'm not uh, telling you you will discover art. You will discover new people that ha have the same artists you like. You will, you will make new connections. You will discover, of course, new works available by an artist you, you want to buy. You know what I mean? You will have a more accurate uh, idea about the artist market. I mean, all, everything will be like a private sales done by the algorithm. So you promise to disrupt, they have a tagline, which is really cool, to disrupt the way people buy and sell art around the world. And there's a lot of apps that are disrupting how, totally. how things operate in the world. Emmanuel, totally. you want to talk to that? Uh, sure thing. Uh, you know, when you look at the different markets out there, such as real estate, um, which I would say anywhere between 20, 25 years ago, began tapping into the Internet and using it as a tool to really connect people. Now, real estate is also a, still very much traditional. There are brokers involved. Um, you have to list the property through a specific marketplace, and um, there's still some traditional components. However, technology did go ahead and make a breakthrough, um, giving people access to information on demand uh, more quickly, expediting the, the purchase process entirely. Um, I remember, uh, I would say, maybe 20 years ago, 15 years ago, buy owner. I don't know if you remember, buyowner.com. It was the very first website that went to market that started basically putting together the buyer and the seller without having to work with the middleman. And uh, that's a great example of one that really made a breakthrough and is no longer really around given the innovations that occurred since then. You have Trulia and you have some of the more um, uh, updated apps that have adapted to now mobile you know, uh, type experiences. So... Another example is dating, which I would also agree is a marketplace. Uh, dating, uh, when you're 
in the market, you're officially looking for a potential partner. And so um, Tinder, for example, has done a fantastic job uh, making this market very dynamic, very interesting, very real time, showing you who's around you, um, giving you the ability to connect with people that may be interested in you and qualifying them up front which are aspects mm -hmm. that we try to put into Artseeker as well. That's one of the key components, actually, is the fact that you are able to connect with qualified buyers and sellers. Um, we do the qualification, of course, and uh, through our technology. But even with Tinder, for instance, there's a certain feature that I particularly like, and that's uh, the ability to be able to say, I'm going to be traveling to... Australia. I have absolutely no idea who lives in Australia, but I'm single and I'm open. I'm in the market and I'm willing to meet others. And so what I do is I adjust the app and I say, I'll be in Australia. And I immediately start to connect with people who are there and may be interested in me. And so uh, Artseeker does the same thing. I was thinking, Elaine had mentioned, you're sitting in the same room with people that are yes. looking for what you want to sell. So this this geolocation feature is what we need to talk about, yes, right? that is mm -hmm. correct. And uh, we incorporated uh, the travel plan section so that if you're going to be at Freeze, let's say, um, in New York, and you live perhaps in Hong Kong, um, you can set, you know, the, your, your, in your account that you're going to be there during such date. Um, and then immediately it starts to locate others who will be there as well and put you in touch with those folks that may be interested in an artist that you are interested in. So there has to be a mutual match there. And we do uh, do that. We, we, we call it the wow factor, the ability to be able to say, look, we found someone who is interested in the same thing you are. In this case, it would be an artist, but it could be very specific. It could be an artist that has done X painting from X decade, et cetera. And so um, it really depends on how you have the, the search set up. But um, the idea that all of a sudden you can start connecting and confirming appointments well in advance so that your trip is meaningful. You know, traveling from Hong Kong to uh, <laughs> New York City for freeze is a very expensive. You want to take, uh, take advantage of the time while you're there. And just as Helen mentioned, sometimes you're at these events and they're there. These are art buyers and sellers. They're all around you, but you have absolutely no idea what they're interested in. And if you could be a source for someone to maybe buy something or you could refer someone and all of a sudden you're connected. And that's the most important piece of Art Seeker is that all of a sudden you're connected in this group, this very selective group of high profile individuals who are active collectors. And these are people that tend to be politicians sometimes. They tend to be um, very high-profile government officials that are collecting artwork or investors. These, the art market is exactly that. It's a marketplace. And a lot of people see it as a casual hobby when, in fact, um, this is a great way for you to um, build up your net worth. Well, let's talk about where you are so far with this um, app, you've done a soft launch. Yes, so we are on the App Store and we are planning to be um, available for Android phone, phones in two months. Mm -hmm. And we, are, we have new members every day 
Um, I mean, we have new works listed uh, within Artseeker, of course, every day, and a lot of new searches every day. It's very interesting. And we are approaching also museums, so we might have works with a very good provenance, museums provenance. You know, in America, museums are allowed to, to sell their works. In Europe, they, are, they aren't, but here, yes. So we will have these kinds of new actors uh, co coming on board. And uh, so it's, it's, um, it's in, we have new members e almost every day. How many members do you have so far? Now, so I will tell you. Uh, tell no, me the latest news. Yes, it's 888. Okay. So it's easy to remember. And, and how many artworks are. Oh, I don't are, know. No so idea. Far, I, I mean, no, I, I know, but it's changing every day. Okay. And I have some people who send me a first list without doing it within the app yet with uh, hundreds of them. So I, I have to advise them which one they, they could um, enter in their profile. I mean, it's, uh, so it's, it's thousands already. I do want to mention one thing because sometimes um, you, you may have a piece of work that you're looking to sell or buy, but um, in addition to that, there's value that comes with connecting with someone that has information about a particular artist that's speculated or maybe there's a, um, an investment strategy that you want to pursue and there's some dialogue that should happen there about how to execute that strategy. So what I'm saying is that sometimes the app will actually put you in touch with someone that is meaningful for you in terms of getting you the right painting or eventually putting you in touch with someone who can best guide you in your investment strategy um, or someone may give you some sort of advice. For instance, Helen tends to be uh, a specialist in Indian uh, contemporary art. That's a very niche uh, topic and so you may run into people that know about that and then therefore explore new avenues. So I the, mean, the, the collectors. Best, the best experts are in India for that. So we, within Artseeker, they will be in touch with people from India or from China. It's a global network. And actually, for users, the Artseeker will, ab will able, um, will, uh, it will help you to locate the work uh, before the work is coming to market. The, the work is not on the market at all. These works will be fresh because to be on Artseeker is not to be on the market yet. You know, so you can feel how people uh, will react if you, you know. Well, will you be inviting artists, for example, to... Uh, First, to we will invite artist estates, okay, okay? because so. we, have the, we have the right provenance, okay, to avoid fakes, and we will invite artist estates. Um, artists, uh, if they work with Gary, they will not need us so far. And I don't want to compete with galleries. I'm buying works uh, tomorrow at Freeze myself for, from contemporary art galleries. I mean, I will never bypass a, a gallery for that. But for the secondary market, yes. Uh, for example, um, or artists who don't want to, who, do, who don't want to work with gallery or who would like to keep 50% of their production and for themselves, because sometimes they might think that galleries are taking too much money from them. You know, there is a, there is a big demand. I think that's a widespread yes. belief. Yes, or sometimes, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I was a gallerist for 25 years, so I know 
the galleries, they made some exchange, they barter works with another gallerist uh, along, you know, their life and everything. And sometimes we would like to sell an artwork from another artist, but they don't want to harm the artist's career with putting it at auction. They want to sell it discreetly. Okay, so we will use Art Seeker to sell some artworks mm -hmm. from other artists in this case. I, I think yeah. that's the probably the most disrupting aspect of the app is that you're capturing something well before it gets to the marketplace. And that moment is key because you are able to really take advantage of the opportunity at hand. And right now there's an opportunity for trial subscription. So any of us, even if we're not uh, high-scale collectors... We can uh, experience this app by going in and creating a profile. Absolutely. We make it available for free. Um, we are currently, I would say, doing a soft launch. Um, and so we've made it available to everyone, uh, and we're tweaking it along the way, learning and getting feedback from the marketplace and figuring out what's working, what's not, how to best uh, bring these kinds of people together, because in the long run, it needs to be a community. And so we want to leave it open, otherwise it would be a closed community, and that's not good in necessarily um, tech, when you're launching an application, especially that requires uh, connectivity, um, it's not good initially. But we do say it is exclusive in that um, eventually we, we only put people together when there is truly a qualified match. Mm -hmm. right. Yes, we don't want to bother people. It's not a pushy thing right. at all. Uh, I mean, I think this algorithm will enable us to crack the code of private sales. This is my goal. Because so far, all the, I mean, the economics in the art market, you only have um, the auction results available. We don't have much information about private sales because everybody keeps that private and secret and it's very nebulous, you know, in the art it's not transparent at all, the art market, yet. And with the art seeker, we will crack the code. I mean, we will have, uh, we will understand this new ecosystem. Even if each member will be protected, I mean, identity is protected, security is key. But we will have a better view of the private sales, and uh, it, so it's 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 very it will be very he helpful to to have some statistics later on for our members, of course. Right. right. The statistics piece is actually pretty important because there's some analysis that we aim to do as we start to see these transactions occur. We'd have a better visibility into what happens before it goes to market. So that analysis is very important. Well, congratulations on your efforts to create something <laughs> totally. completely new uh, for uh, collectors to use. Uh, back to Earth, <laughs> we are knowing that uh, Elaine is headed to Freeze Art Fair, she just said. That comes to New York City. Uh, it's a British art fair that started coming to New York City a few years ago, yes. about five years ago. And I would love to spend an hour finding out how Helen goes in and approaches the art fair. I think it could be really interesting for collectors to get some tips on how to, to make the most out of an art fair. Uh, in 2014, I went to Freeze and recorded with two artists that were commissioned for special projects that actually weren't part of the market system of Freeze. You can listen to one of the episodes with Nama Sabar about the music festival she presented on the lawn outside the tent 
That was super cool. We also met Japanese artist Koki Tanaka. And Koki is known, known for working with communities and looking at other sides of, for example, the market, the exhibition structure, the institutional structure. And he is participating this year in both the Venice Art Biennale in Italy and Sculpture Project, the big public sculpture exhibition in Munster this year. His project was inside the Freeze Art Fair tent. Let's listen to what he had to say about it. The art fair is making its third appearance on Randall's Island, just one small bridge away from Manhattan. We've come looking for Japanese artist Koki Tanaka to learn more about his interest in the island's invisible communities. Koki's interactive art project was commissioned by Freeze. An array of picnic tables from a nearby park define the space where Koki will tell a different Randall's Island story each day, introducing communities and histories that lie outside the fair's reality. This project is specifically meant to occur inside the art fair yes. on Randall's Island. Tell me why you decided to do this project. What's it about? Uh, the project is about to find uh, some context or reality of the Randall Island to, let's say, bring back to the art fair context inside. So it's kind of like a, I try to find a bridge in between art fair and uh, uh, the reality of the Randall Island. Who will be the players in this orchestrated project? <laughs> yeah, uh, each day different. Uh, I invite a different person. Day one, a firefighter. Uh, the first day is the firefighter who actually teach uh, at the firefighter academy in Landos Island. Day two, a poet. The second day is the poet. And um, she's going to uh, rewriting the Samuel Greenberg's poem from the 1917. She died at the psychiatric center next to the freeze big tent. I wanted to ask one of the contemporary poets who live in New York uh, to reenactment of rewriting the uh, Samuel Greenbaum's poem uh, here. Day three, a jazz musician. The third day is I invite the jazz player to whistling the historical uh, jazz play happened in 1938. There was a jazz festival happened here. I just found a uh, historical film uh, shot in 1938, so uh, in YouTube. So I asked the guy uh, who can whistling this to kind of like uh, recording the memory of the land of iron from the past. Koki is talking about Count Basie and his orchestra and the 1938 Carnival of Swing that brought thousands of New Yorkers to a stadium on Randall's Island. A jogger. And the fourth day, uh, I invite the jogger who actually uh, 
very famous runner. Uh, he's also teaching at the stadium how to run. So uh, I invite him to spend one day uh, running uh, alongside the river and coming back to the uh, spot inside the fair to stretching and drink of water or just rest. Day five, a park director. And the last day, finally, I invite the one person from the park department. He knows the history of Randalls. So he kind of like stitching out the London facts that I found through the internet to like contextualize the five days activity. How does this project fit into your larger body of work? What makes you want to do this particular project here? Maybe I shouldn't say, but uh, I'm not much interested in art fair context in a way. Uh, of course, because it's market-oriented and socialized space, and I'm not uh, really good at like these things. So uh, I wanted to bring some different like aspect of the island itself. That's why I wanted to looking at the history and uh, looking at the fa facilities in the island to kind of like uh, find a way invisible communities, which is it's invisible from our side. I mean our people. We are just coming to freeze but not looking outside. So that's why I wanted to bring uh, invisible community into the freeze to sort of like uh, reconnect the reality of our everyday. Koki considers the fact that in this context, he's invisible, as are 99% of us. He ponders the potential for his project to fail. Do you sense that they're noticing that you're here? <laughs> like, as I said, like art fair is contextualized very specific and a very limited purpose. And it's difficult to be visible in a way if I'm small. And uh, I feel like I'm like 99%. I'm not the 1% because the, these big galleries, these big dealers, they are 1% anyway. And I'm not against them. I'm just uh, bringing something different into the, their context. So uh, potentially invisible, potentially failure, but uh, that's part of the, my project, I guess. So I'm totally accept the failure or invisibleness. I'm, uh, of course, expecting someone might notice about something different happening in the art field context. That's probably what I want. Well, we're going to share it with people. <laughs> yes. So our listeners are going to hear about it. Okay. <laughs> At least, yeah, that's good. Good morning. Welcome to the Fresh Art International Show on Jolt Radio. I'm Kathy Bird. You just heard a whistler inside the Freeze Fair art tent in 2014. Koki Tanaka's project involved a vision of a saxophonist in the tent, and the uh, Freeze people didn't go for it. So he had a whistler whistle that tune for us. 
Our next conversation will be with three individuals involved in technology projects behind the scenes at Miami's historic Vizcaya Museum and Gardens. You're about to find out just how deeply they're involved with new technologies. Joining me in the studio today are Vizcaya team members Mark Osterman and Gina Wouters with Harry Tapias, who is a trustee with the museum. Many of our Miami-based listeners know this gorgeous historic property at the edge of Biscayne Bay. I'm going to introduce these three formally. Mark Osterman is the Adult Learning and Engagement Manager at Vizcaya. He specializes in art and museum education, and his research focuses in arts, literacy, and technology. He is engaged in a range of projects at Vizcaya, but the one we're going to be talking about today is the interpretive technology initiatives that he is implementing there. Harry Tapias is co-founder of Logica Attorneys, specialized in working with global technology companies, and he is a trustee of Vizcaya, taking a leadership role in the museum's digital visioning task force. I'm really happy to have you here, Harry. Thank you. Happy to be here, too. Gina Wouters is curator of Vizcaya's Contemporary Art Program, and she is in the process of earning her doctoral degree. Also, she's a candidate, and her specialty is examining the place of contemporary art at historic sites. How perfect is that? So let's start with a little description of Vizcaya. Mark's going to cue you in because some of our listeners might not know. We have listeners from around the world that might not have been here yet. Vizcaya Museum and Gardens is a national historic landmark. We preserve the estate of agricultural industrialist James Deering to engage the community um, in learning through arts, history, and the environment. Um, We do that in... A variety of ways. They span from doing contemporary art exhibitions, which Gina will elaborate on uh, a little later in the program, but also through community engagement, technology programs, um, academic partnerships, school programs, guided programs. So we have a, a robust um, menu of, of offerings and how we go about engaging the community. For today, the focus on this idea of technology may seem a bit strange because when people think about an historic home, one would wonder what role technology really plays in that. So just a little context of why there's historical precedence for an interest in technology. So James Deering had both a personal and professional interest in this area. His company, International Harvester, made um, mechanized farming equipment. They were sort of the technology of the day. And so during the construction of Vizcaya, James Deering was really interested in how he could incorporate and integrate technology throughout the estate. So that included its basic construction, which used steel reinforced um, concrete slab construction, a method that was really employed for commercial buildings, large scale buildings of the day. And then throughout the home, there was an incorporation of um, most of the amenities uh, were the latest technologies of the day. So they spanned from anything like a central vacuuming system and a statewide phone exchange, um, a central heating system, um, the house being completely electrified, a personal and service elevators, and the list could kind of go on and on. Um, what's interesting about this aesthetically was 
the intent that all of these technologies were not just integrated, but mostly camouflaged throughout the home. So the aesthetic intent of the home was to look like an estate that was constructed 400 years ago, but in reality, it was one of the most modern and complex homes um, in South Florida of the day. So that's just to give a little bit of context of that there, there is this existing sort of precedent of technology in the home, and we're looking at leveraging that for our, our audiences today. So what are the specific objectives for Vizcaya with technology? Well, right now when we look at technology, we have engaged, um, and Harry will talk a bit about this, we've engaged community partners, local innovators, entrepreneurs, but we've also engaged a digital strategist and have contracted um, somebody to work closely with myself and staff throughout the museum to develop an overall digital strategy. And the idea behind this is to figure out clear goals, guidelines, and objectives on how we should move forward. Um, so is that Jeff Guin? Yes, exactly. I want to give a shout out to him. I hope he's listening. Yeah, me too. I'm sure <laughs> at some point he will be. And um, so that's been a, a fantastic step forward for us. Um, and, you know, from like a mile high view, we're looking at how technology can be leveraged to enhance a visitor's experience both on-site and off at Vizcaya, and specifically using technology to engage visitors, to increase access, and to tell Vizcaya's story. So... Thinking about those three goals, there are certain projects that we're, we're looking at to experiment with. Cool. And I think, um, do you want to step in now, Heritage, uh, sure. to talk a little bit about the involvement sure. as a trustee with special interests? Uh, absolutely, yeah. I'm actually the newest member of the Board of Trustees. A, a lot of the uh, members there, uh, this, there's 23, have been around for at least 15, sometimes 20 years. So I've been around for just about seven months now, and I was appointed there through um, Commissioner uh, Daniela, Daniela uh, Levine-Cava. She interviewed me, and, and so did Joel Hoffman, the director at the museum, and uh, Joel found that um, I, I am an attorney, but I also have a bit of a technology background in my previous career, and uh, he's, you know, he, he asked that, that, that I be part of the, uh, be part of the trust, and, and uh, the commissioner agreed, and I'm happy to be there. As, as, as a lawyer here in Miami, I've, I've worked in Wynwood, I've worked in Lincoln Road, I've worked in Brickell, and I've encountered a lot of young companies, uh, technology companies that are you know, investing here in Miami. There's entrepreneurs coming from different parts of the country, different parts of the world as well that are all converging down to Miami. And many times they're unaware of uh, this beautiful resource that we have uh, pressed, pressed against the bay, Vizcaya. What I'm trying to do is to communicate the resources of Vizcaya and let them know that, hey, you know, this, this entrepreneur was, was here as well 100 years ago. He had the vision that you have today. Why don't we connect the old with the new and create something new, right, uh, something fresh? With that idea, we've uh, started developing an advisory committee comprised of technology entrepreneurs, the folks that I've met in, in Wynwood and around Miami, also just business professionals. In fact, the art seeker was at our very first uh, committee meeting, so a shout out to, to Helen Lamarck. She was there and contributed some ideas as well. So the goal here is that you know, these entrepreneurs who are, who are looking to invest in Miami can also invest in Vizcaya as well and make Vizcaya their own. So what kind of cross-pollinators are you hoping to lure over there to get involved in the digital Vision. Yeah. So, so we're so uh, we 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 are we we are formalizing that committee. But um, so we have uh, already a handful of pretty smart folks. Uh, for example, uh, Kairos 
Brian Burkeen, one of the facial recognition technology companies here in Miami. They're interested in joining. But we're also going to start looking at maybe some larger companies as well to see if they have any interest, and I'm sure they will. I think what, what happens with Visky is that it's, is I think over the years, it's been um, maybe somewhat unavailable to the community because the communication around Vizcaya has, has just hasn't been available. And now the museum is, is taking the opportunity to say, hey, look, we're here. Like, we belong to you, right? We're, we're, we're part of you. So we're hoping to, to bring in some members who have members of the community who, who have known but haven't really participated. For example, um, Jeff Stay from uh, BNI came to one of our meetings, and he's been here for like 25 years, important person in the business community, but said, hey, this is the first time I'm here. I've gone past this place on my, my boat, but didn't really realize how cool it was from the inside, and so he was happy to be there. That's cool. So let's talk about the experiments. Mark? Just to build on of one of the or many of the things Harry was stating, though, uh, some of the people that he's engaging are helping us on various projects. So whether it's we need to do an IT infrastructure assessment, we need to do website enhancements, we need to figure out a better system for online payments. Um, we want to figure out ways to leverage our membership through technology. So that advisory committee really helps us um, make decisions, and see things in a, a broader way because it's not institutional knowledge that we have. Um, but back to your question, I'll just I'll focus on two projects that we're working on and have been interested in. So when I went back, I'll go back to this idea, we'd like to use technology to increase access. And so when I say access, that's access to the collection, but also accessibility. So somebody who might have a physical impairment um, or even a cognitive impairment. How do we make an experience at Vizcaya available to all, sort of being inclusive, thinking about universal design? So a lot of the challenges we have stem from the fact that we're a national historic landmark. It means that we are out of compliance with a lot of ADA um, guidelines, ADA, the American Disabilities Act. So the reason being is that the changes required from those regulations could disrupt or even destroy the historic character of the museum and or gardens. So how can, we, how can we mitigate that? How can we fix that? And technology seems a great way. So one way that we've done that is we've created the virtual access tour. And what this is, is um, it's a 360 degree virtual tour of every room on the second floor of the museum and difficult to access areas of the gardens. And this has been placed on a 42-inch touchscreen. Um, it's been designed looking at ADA guidelines for kiosk design. Um, that meaning really the looking at the contrast that's used, the size of the, the, the fonts that are incorporated, the height of any interactive elements that somebody needs to use, using icons rather than language for um, directives, and offering different options on how one can navigate the spaces. So. What we have, though, is this amazing experience that, again, is it's universal in design in, in the sense that it's, it's interesting for everyone because you have these 360-degree shots of the spaces that you can manipulate and move around. The rooms are highly um, lit because they were professionally photographed. They're usually more dim to, to protect the historic surfaces. And you can clearly zoom in on the incredible multitude of objects within our collections in the room, which may be difficult to see um, from your naked eye. So the experience itself is enhanced almost for anyone and serves as a complement to going into the room. You could then experience a virtual access tour to de look deeper at things that might have been of interest. 
So just quickly upon reflection, it is not universal in design because the fact is a visual touchscreen is not a very useful device for somebody who might have a vision impairment. So another iteration that we're looking at is the possibility of doing audio description in the future to enhance the experience. And will some of these opportunities be online as well? Yes. So it's, it's a hybrid of the virtual access tour, but online there is a virtual online tour. And we look at these, these, um, these projects with intentionality, so they are slightly different. The virtual access tour is meant to mimic the physical experience of when you go to the second floor of the garden. So that means the interpretive information you're offered is what you would see if you were physically in the space. The virtual online tour has more information and more access, so it's more of a distance learning approach. So that means when you're in a space or points of interest you can click on, um, it can show archival photos, you can click on points of interest for specific objects, it'll give you the provenance, where, um, when it was made, the materials it's made out of, etc. So this is some of our early forays into making the collection accessible, which is a virtual online tour that can be accessed directly from our website. What I like about this is that it's not just a compendium. It's not just a dictionary, like we have this, this, and this, a slideshow. It's an actual experience. Right, and so that's important to us, the idea of narrative. People have a sort of general inclination to be interested in narrative. So again, going back to those three bullet points, one is to tell this guy a story. So again, intentional in that language and how we use the technology to try to be narrative as much as possible. One other project is the um, 3D documentation we've been working on. And this is really bridging established conservation and preservation technologies with um, interpretation technologies. So we're using laser scanning and something called photogrammetry to scan um, what's called the barge, which is a large stone boat in Biscayne Bay. It is not accessible to the public. So having these virtual models from these technologies will allow people to have a virtual experience of um, both visiting these spaces, but also learning about challenges that we have for conservation. We could also talk about things like climate change, sea level rise, sustainability, et cetera. So it's very exciting technology, very much on the forefront. Awesome. <laughs> it just <laughs> sounds you. like so much going on. I think it's time to turn to art of the moment <laughs> with Vizcaya Wouters. Many Viscaya Wouters. How did I do that? Hey, I'm fine with it's it. It's so, like, it's really interesting. Gina Wouters. I love it. Gina. I'm, I can be Viscaya. Gina. Okay. Gina, let's circle back. Let's circle back to That'll Art of the your Moment. Avatar. So. Your avatar is Viscaya. Might as well be. Okay. Well, many contemporary artists are really interested in working in historic spaces, and many use technology. So you've, you've been the curator since 2013? Yep, correct. And what have been your biggest challenges working with contemporary artists in this historic space? Well, if I can just for a second zoom out a little bit why we even do this project, it's, it's very much in line with why we're exploring technologies. Um, it's all rooted in historic precedent. James Deering was a patron of contemporary artists, so we tried to bring back that, that narrative as well through this program, which is now in its dec it's celebrating its first decade. Um, but the challenges are kind of endless because uh, preservation is a really big uh, goal of, of uh, you know, our mission at Vizcaya, and 
doing contemporary arts projects and installations in a way goes against preserving the site because you're actively using the site. You're trying to add things to it. Um, you're, you know, placing items or installations on, on landscapes in, in interior, dec in interior spaces. So it's, there are a lot of challenges and just, I mean, they, they are very basic and they're very complex. Um, so, I mean, finding an outlet in a room, that's, that's a challenge. That's a really simple challenge that we have. Um, so technology, I mean, a lot of the projects we've had in the last, in the 10 years that we've been doing this program have not been focused on digital technologies or um, we've had some video projections, but those have been ran pretty smoothly. Um, but for our next project, which is going to happen this year, uh, it's actually a little bit of a revelation for on the show, but uh, we are working with five artists, and one of them is a New York-based artist, uh, Catherine Bahar, and she is a new media and digital technologies artist. So, yes. <laughs> yes. Gina and I both have experience with Catherine Behar. She uh, was in an exhibition I curated about women working with emerging technologies and art uh, in 2009, I think it was. And it's so great when, I, when you mentioned she's the one you're working with. I get to see her again and, and appreciate her work. Tell me what you can share about her project Sure. At Vizcaya. So the, the theme of the exhibition is um, uh, about immersion and sensory activations. And um, to not give it all away, she really wants to give a, a voice to the, to the water, which is, has been kind of one of the main protagonists of Vizcaya, sometimes silent, sometimes more vocal, and um, really is going to give it a, a, a literal voice. Um, and it involves a neural net. Maybe that means something to some people listening. doesn't mean it's, it's quite complex to me. Um, but it's a, a really complicated system that she's going to be uh, working with and exploring to basically, again, combine James Deering's words with the water and, and have a scrolling uh, text that's going to be presenting this fragmented um, kind of snippets of Vizcaya's history. It's going to be an amazing installation on the East Terrace. And she's working with a, a tech expert. She's bringing in a whole group of collaborators on this project because it is quite complex. People from UM, uh, sound experts here. Um, and that's also a little bit of a challenge that she's based in New York. It's, uh, there, there's a remote dis a distance we have to work with. Well, I think it's cool that since Elena and I have been talking about one of the topics of a potential podcast episode is big data, one of Catherine's projects was called Modeling Big Data, where she actually performs as an obese data body stuck in the cycle of generating data, swollen by her own and overwhelmed by her own data glut. And I thought it would be super fun to share the sounds of big data that she shared with me, uh, she talks about, of course, everyone knows that big data is data you really can't get your head around. She captures and performs four data gestures, clicking, buffering, cacheing, and pinging. And all of these are video projects, and she allowed me to sample two. One is a data gesture we all experience called clicking.
a back-end data gesture that she shared with me, pings. Well, that was a few clicks and pings courtesy of artist Catherine Behar, who will be presenting a project at Viscaya Museum and Gardens in late 2017. Thank you, Viscaya people, for joining me today in the studio. Thank you very much. It was great. Thank you. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird, and we're live streaming from the studio at Jolt Radio in Miami, Florida. We hope you enjoyed our conversations about new developments in art and technology. Hélène Lamarck, Emmanuel Trench, Gina Wouters, Mark Osterman, and Harry Tapias were my guests today. Thank you for joining me, and thank you to Artseeker for supporting our new series of Art and Technology podcast episodes. Please let us know how you like the show. You'll find us at Fresh Art INTL and at Jolt Radio on social media. If you find our program informative and inspiring, please consider supporting Fresh Art International. Visit our site and click on the red support button to participate. I want to tell you that I'm heading out on a six-week field expedition. Destination Fresh Art will take me to five countries and nine cities and countless art encounters across the sea. And I'll be sharing my discoveries with you along the way on social media in new podcast episodes and on this radio show. And how we're going to do that is the next show, uh, live show, at 10 a.m. on May 17, I'll be calling in from Athens, Greece, to speak with Mr. Jolt himself, John Kenya. He's the founder and CEO of this amazing station. You'll hear sounds and conversations from the preview days of the Venice Art Biennale. I'll also introduce you to a couple of the producers at Cannibal Radio an independent internet station just like this one that's located in Athens. Cannibal Radio has invited me to host a pop-up show while I'm in Athens. Stay tuned for details on that. Thank you for listening to Fresh Art International. Meet us every Wednesday for more contemporary art talk. <laughs>